when those Roman guards went to the chief priests and told them there was an earthquake, there were bright lights, there was an angel, there was a disturbingly empty tomb. The chief priests, their response was to give them money, hush money, money to spread a lie. They said, here, take this money and tell people you fell asleep. Take this money and tell people while we were sleeping, the disciples came and stole this body of Jesus. But no hush money could hush the message of Jesus. That message, the message of Jesus' power and victory and conquering of death, could not be quieted. No matter how hard those chief priests tried, and they did try, they could not keep Jesus in the grave. No murder plot could keep Jesus murdered. King Herod tried, but no king could keep King Jesus down. Governor Pilate tried, but no governor could govern Jesus. No armed guard with weapons and a mission could keep Jesus in the tomb. No linen shroud wrapped tightly around his dead body could contain his body. No iron nails pounded securely through his hands and his feet could keep him nailed to that cross. No quantity of wax could adequately seal that tomb. No tomb carved out of solid rock would be strong enough to contain that dead body filled with resurrection power. No length of time, 700 years of time, no passing of time despite the ups and the downs and the triumphs and tragedies of life is too long for God to forget. He may tarry, but God is never late. Not even 700 years of waiting from the prophecies of Isaiah could thwart God's plan. No plot, no guard, no seal, no length of time, no governor, nor king, because Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. No power, no principality, no evil spirit of this world can compete with Jesus because Jesus, the scriptures tell us, disarmed the principalities and the powers of death. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The enemy has been disarmed. The enemy has been defeated, dethroned, dispossessed, and destroyed. The enemy's mission here on this earth, his power here, is temporary. We feel the effects of the enemy's power with the daily struggles that we live in. But the enemy's power here on this earth is temporary, short-term, and limited. And it is just a matter of time before he has no more power at all. Jesus brought victory over this enemy through his sacrificial blood on the cross. Victory belongs to Jesus. It always has and it always will. 1 Corinthians 15 says, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This victory that Jesus has achieved, this victory Jesus won by the sheer power of his being, is a victory that he has made available to us. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the victory of overcoming that our victorious Jesus gives us through Jesus. He is the winning king who overcomes the world. So take heart, for he has overcome the world. The scriptures tell us that this same victory that belongs to Jesus, this same overpowering, this same overcoming, is for us too. We do not have a God who just wins and says, well, it's good for me, too bad for you. We have a God who says, take heart, I have overcome the world. We have a God who says, the same power that raised me from the dead can raise you too. Jesus came to offer us salvation. That means he came to rescue us from this. From this, he came to rescue us from all the stuff we're in, all the stuff we were born into, all of the stuff that fills our calendars, all of the stuff that holds us back and weighs us down and keeps us in bondage. He came to rescue us so we can overcome. Jesus is making all things new. This, the battle against the enemy, the battle against sin and death was won on that cross. It's like in an earthly war where often there is a defining battle that defines the end of the war. But in that moment, a lot of times there's still some other skirmishes that are going on and it takes a little bit for the rest of the smaller skirmishes to settle down before the war is all the way done. It's like that with what happened with Jesus on the cross. The battle has been decided. With the sacrifice and death and resurrection of Jesus, the battle was decided with Jesus as the victor, and now it's just a matter of time before everything is completely, eternally made right. The battle has been won, and we don't know how long it will be Maybe it will just be a matter of time before Jesus comes back. Maybe it will be 700 more years, maybe less, maybe more, before that last battle in which sin and death are sent to eternal judgment. And those who have put their faith in Jesus and have saving faith will receive the goal of their faith, the salvation of their souls. 1 John 5 says, Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. You see, church, it's, it's through saving faith that we overcome. Verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The scripture is clear. 
that the victory and the overcoming that we need and that we want and that we call out for is only given to those who put their belief in Jesus. He is the only way, the scriptures tell us. Verse 12 says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. The overcoming victory of Jesus is available to us through saving faith in his work. The victory of Jesus was won so that we too can overcome. What is this saving faith? I'd like to start by saying what saving faith is not. Saving faith is not just believing that there is a God. Many people believe that there is a God, but have not still put their, tri- their trust in Jesus. Now, I will say, you do need to believe there is a God. That is part of saving faith. But it is not just belief that there is a God. Letter B, it's also not just believing that Jesus is God. It includes believing that Jesus is God and that we understand God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is what saving faith includes. But it's not just believing that Jesus is God. The book of James chapter 2 tells us, you believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Satan's demons, our enemies, the, the spiritual forces of evil, they believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They know. They know. And that belief isn't, en- isn't quite enough. So it's, saving faith is not just intellectual understanding. It is not just a knowledge that you hold in your head. It includes those things, and those beliefs are matter, and they are important. But just thinking those right thoughts doesn't necessarily mean you have put your faith in Jesus. Saving faith is trust that Jesus has really saved you. To be a Christian means you trust that there's something that Jesus did in you and where you were before is different from where you are now. It is a trust that even if you don't understand all the supernatural stuff because, you know, let's face it, it's beyond our human comprehension, you know you're in a different place than you were before Jesus. It's a trust. It's a Jesus, I trust that you have done something in me. Jesus, I trust that my future is different with you because of it. It's a trust that Jesus has actually really saved you, that you actually really needed saving from something, and that he actually has saved you. It's a response of the heart there's a, a heart component to it where it's, it goes from just things that we know and we need to have things that we know. Our minds need, we, our minds need to be transformed by the, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, but there's a heart element too, a sense of something inside of us that wants God, that loves God, that says, God, I want to be like you. God, I, I have a heart to follow you. Now, we're humans. Our, our feelings are going to ebb and flow. I'm not saying put all your faith in your feelings. I'm just saying, there's, there's something there, too. We're not talking about just checking boxes on a series of believing the right things. It's have, do you have a heart 
that has been warmed by God. There are a few things that saving faith does. Saving faith includes both eternal life and it affects how we do life here. Saving faith does provide an eternity with Jesus. I find it so interesting that the decisions we make now in this world and in this lifetime have eternal ramifications. Choices we make now about where we stand with God, how we live for him, how we don't live for him, how we serve him, how we don't serve him, have ramifications into eternity. We can't see, that the scripture says, now we see as, as through a, a mirror darkly. It's, it's a veiled vision that we have of the future. We can't fully understand what it's going to be like someday when Jesus comes back. We understand darkly. But we know that Jesus is going to come through at the end and that there will be eternal life. And the decisions that we make, the choices we make, the things we do now have ramifications into eternity. That is part of what happens with saving faith. But saving faith also is something we experience here and now in this life. First of all, saving faith gives us victory over the guilt of sin. Letter A, saving faith gives us victory over the guilt of sin. If you've been alive for a few years, you've probably experienced guilt, shame. Sometimes it's things you've done. Sometimes it's things others have done to you. But here, faith in Jesus saves us from the guilt and the shame of, of past sins. Whatever we've done to damage our relationship with God, and all of us have done damage to our relationship with God. Our relationship with God changes with saving faith. And we become what the Bible calls forgiven. Forgiveness. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a pivotal thing in Christianity. It's something the world doesn't always do very well with. Forgiveness. A lot of times we have trouble feeling forgiven by God because we harbor unforgiveness against others. God says, I want you to experience forgiveness. And when we begin to experience God's forgiveness, we experience, then when we can forgive others much e more easily. Saving faith gives us victory over the guilt of sin. Our relationship with God changes when we come into relationship with us. The, the guilt dynamic changes where we become not in front. We go, we go from not being in a good position with God to becoming in a good position with God. And our relationship changes from, say you have a subject in a kingdom. And say the subject in the kingdom has committed a crime against their king. What does the king do? The king punishes them. And a lot of times we think of our relationship with God that way. I broke the law, or I, I made God mad, God is the king, and I'm, just, I'm, the, I'm the servant, and so I'm going to be punished. But having saving faith with victory over the guilt of sin, it changes the relationship to feel more like a child who's been estranged from their father. A child who's gone off, done their own thing, but then who comes crawling back home and the father says, welcome home. That's how the relationship changes. Instead of guilt, there is restoration. Instead of guilt, there is forgiveness. Saving faith gives us victory over that guilt 
and helps us know how to be loved as God's children. Letter B, saving faith gives us victory over the power of sin. Here's the thing, church. Every Easter, if you've been a Christian for a while, every Easter you celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. You talk about his power to overcome death, his power over the grave, his power over the enemy, and we are fine with Jesus having all the power, but when Jesus says, I put, I'm giving you my power, I give you my Holy Spirit, the same power that raised me is, is also raising you, we, we say, oh, actually, no, we don't believe that. We believe Jesus will resurrect, but we don't believe in his power to make us new. Saving faith recognizes that he gives us victory over the power of sin, that he's able to free us from the necessity of sinning. Salvation means that we can be free from sinful habits. We can be free from choosing to sin. We can be free from having to give in to sinful desires. Those things that plague us and that that come after us and that tempt us all the time, we don't have to give in to those things. We are not destined to keep on sinning. We are not destined to be stuck. God did not call us to have faith in him only to leave us in our sins. He called us to have faith in him, to call us out of that, to bring us to death, to self, and raise us into new life with Christ. Salvation means it's possible for us to not actively choose to sin anymore, and this is an incredible gift. This doesn't mean we don't struggle. It doesn't mean that there's still the skirmishes of war going on over here. One day, saving faith will deal with the, the, the being of sin that still is around us and in this world right now. It's not that we stop sinning altogether right now in this life. We do still have a battle with sin. In fact, Romans 6 talks about that battle. It says in Romans six twelve, it says, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. So just in that little phrase, sin wants to have its way in you. And the, the author of Romans says, don't let sin reign. Don't let sin do it. Wrestle a little bit. Don't let sin have its way. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instrument of, of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. He says, enter into a, a new kind of struggle, but enter into the struggle knowing victory belongs to Jesus and he has overcome the world and he has given you the ability to overcome. Because 2 Peter 1.3 says, his divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Romans 6.6 6 says, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be rendered powerless that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Let me read that again. So that the body of sin might be rendered powerless so that we're not slaves to sin anymore because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Engage in the wrestling, engage in the struggle, and watch the resurrection power of Jesus break those bonds. What has happened, what has happened when Jesus died his sacrificial death on the cross is that the rule, the dominion, 
and the authority of sin in the life of the Christian has been broken and abolished by Christ. And some of you might be sitting here today saying, hey, right now I am, I'm a Christian, but I'm in some bondage right here. Here's what you need to know. The rule, the dominion, and the authority of, of, of the enemy has a big crack in it. And it's only a matter of time before that bondage is eternally dealt with. And Jesus promises that in this life, it is possible for you to experience freedom. Sin does not have the same authority and bondage over you if you, are, if you belong to Jesus. Saving faith allows Jesus the bondage breaker to free you from that death shroud that wraps your body and your soul. Some of you feel like you are wrapped in cloths of death, that you are bound up in death. You are tied up, bound up, you do not feel free. But saving faith allows Jesus the bondage breaker to release that death shroud from you. Saving faith allows Jesus to free you from those enemies who plot to harm you. You might, you might not have murder threats against you like Jesus did, but you also may have people who are out to cause harm to you. Jesus says, I, will free, I can free you from your enemies. Saving faith allows the bondage breaker, Jesus, to free you from the nails, the, the bondage that holds you captive to your sin. What gets you stuck to your sin? Jesus says, those nails, not a problem for me. Saving faith allows the bondage breaker to free you from that rock-hewn tomb that tries to enclose you, from the things that trap you, from the things that hold you back, from this place of, of being trapped where you feel like it is not even possible because that stone is much too heavy for you to roll away and you are stuck. Saving faith says Jesus, the bondage breaker, in his right time, it might be 700 years, in his right time, will do what he has said he will do. So often we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but we deny the resurrection power of Jesus in us. My invitation for you today is for saving faith that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can be in you too. Saving faith, it's, it's not complicated. I've, I've talked a lot about it, but it comes down to the matter of simply trusting that Jesus has really saved you. Trusting that where you were is not where you are now. Saving faith is trusting that where you are now is not where Jesus wants to keep you. Saving faith is a disposition of the heart connecting you with God's heart. It frees you from the guilt and the power of sin. And my question for you today is will, will you seek saving faith in Jesus? The choices we make in this life now have ramifications into eternity. There is no more important decision in life than to respond to the prompting of God in your life to come after him and follow Jesus. There is nothing else more important. Your pursuit of a relationship or a job or of financial security, none of these things are as important. They, they pale in comparison to this, the most important decision you could ever make. 
So often we get bogged down in the complexities of faith and belief and, well, I don't understand this and I don't understand that. And I want to encourage you to be open to the mystery of God. We do not understand the physics of the resurrection. We don't understand the science of what happened here in that place. We know there was an earthquake. Maybe the earthquake shook the rocks open. We don't understand the geology of why that earthquake happened or why, why darkness came over the land at the brightest part of the day. We don't understand the, the geology and the science and the, all the geography that was part of it. We don't understand the weather patterns. We don't understand all that was part of that. We don't understand how a body that was actually physically dead and not alive came back to life. There is mystery to embrace. But saving faith is responding to a prompting in your heart. You have perhaps a, a stirring up inside of you of like, I, I, want, I want something. I want that. I, I want to be connected with God. If you have a desire for a deeper connection with God, that does not come from the enemy. That comes directly from God himself. And that's him calling out to you, saying, there's more. There's more. And I want to invite you to saving faith today. I think there are probably people here who don't have saving faith. Maybe you have some intellectual beliefs but you have not put your trust in Jesus to rescue you. And I want to give you that opportunity today. And there are others here where you, you do have saving faith. Maybe you've had it for a long time. And I want to encourage you today to reflect on that. To say, Jesus, I, I do trust that you have saved me. I do trust that you have pulled me out of where I was and that you have new life for me. Jesus, I do trust you to take away the guilt of my sin. Je Maybe your prayer today is, Jesus, I'm wallowing in my guilt. I can't find a way out of the shame and the guilt. And I challenge you to lean into that saving faith and say, help me in my unbelief, Jesus. Maybe you're wrestling with the power of sin. And, and again, I just say, trust in the mystery of God. Trust in Jesus that when the scriptures say the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. The same overcoming that the Lamb of God has experienced is available for your overcoming. Revelation chapter 12, the last book of the Bible in this prophetic book says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Would you bow your heads with me? Would you seek saving faith in Jesus today? I'm not talking about just intellectual assent. I'm, I'm talking about trusting that Jesus can save you. If you would like to say, yes, today, I'm, I'm trusting Jesus can save me. I'm, 
I need to make that most important decision. Would, would you lift your hand wherever you are with eyes still closed? Yes. Yes. And for those who would say, you know, I, I've got saving faith. Do it again, Lord. Take me deeper. Take me deeper. Deepen my faith in you. Remove the guilt and the power of sin. If that's you today saying, take me deeper, God, would you lift your hand where you are? Just take me deeper, God. Remove that guilt and that power of sin. And Lord Jesus, like you, we have been dead in our sin and dead in transgression and dead in hell. And yet you rose us back to life. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Lord Jesus, for those who have put their faith in you today, who have said, I, am, I want saving faith. I want faith that's going to save me. Lord Jesus, I pray for your spirit to bless them. Lord Jesus, they, they confess their sin. They acknowledge their need before you. And Jesus, you say, I will forgive as far as the east is from the west, I will forgive their sin. I will make them white as snow. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Give us your Holy Spirit, God. Cleanse us, fill us, so that we can overcome by the blood of the Lamb. In your name we pray, amen.